This is Dr. Frank Leon Roberts. And my name is Aldo B. Martin. And this is Finding James Baldwin. The year is 1941, and Dumbo, an animated film about an elephant with a special ability, entertained crowds, young and old, at the movie theater. This movie would go on to become a Disney classic. Ella Fitzgerald continued her role as part of the as part of the soundtrack for the year 1941 by giving us the song Keep Cool Fool. Virginia Woolf, who is considered to be one of the most important authors of the 20th century, passed away. However, her final novel, Between the Acts, was published posthumously. Although radio is king of entertainment at this point, the stepping stones for the future landscape of entertainment were laid down as the television stations, CBS and NBC, were launched. As far as sports go, baseball was king at this time. Joe DiMaggio of the New York Yankees had got a hit in 56 straight games, a record that still stands today. Ted Williams of the Boston Red Sox maintained a 400 batting average for the entire season, and no other player has done it since. Life continued in New York City. The students at Clinton High School continued with their day-to-day lives. The Magpie continued to publish the written words of Clinton's young men. And 16-year-old James Baldwin published his third piece of writing for the Magpie. This time, it was a poem called To Her. To her, how did we reach this fairyland of our love? How ventured we to soar so high this world above? How did we reach it, dearest, obscure yet clear? A road went winding gloryward and led us here. James Baldwin. So now we get to the winter 1941. Yeah. And again, what I what I need to so it's published in the winter of 1941, but it was most likely written in the fall mm-hmm. of 1940. Mhm. Mhm. Right? So so everything yeah, it's published like you you've written stuff. Let me ask you something, man. Stuff that you've written 
by the time it's published, are you a different person? Yeah, often. Right? Often? Yeah. Often. So how do yeah. you view these writings? Like, let's say, how long does it take you to write something that you've published? Oh, that's the million dollar question. I got an editor right now who's asking me that same question, <laughs> much to my uh, much to my concern. Um, but uh, no, but remember, though, to our earlier conversation about, you know, time, time stretches and accelerates during adolescence. Right. So the question is. How much does a young person change over the course of one, you know, marking period, as we used to call it in school? So, you know, this these the selections that we've heard um, uh, today uh, were published in, as you mentioned, 41 written, presumably in 1940. That's a world of difference. It's a world of difference. And 1941 is a very important um, autobiographical year for James Baldwin because it is essentially the year that he leaves the church, that he leaves the pulpit. Ooh. Um, and so we know that at the very time that these that these that these works are being um, published, Baldwin is really contemplating leaving life as he knows it. Right? Can I can I stop you there? Yeah, yeah. For the audience members who may not know this, James Baldwin spent a lot of his adolescent years as a teenage preacher. Oh yeah. Right in his dad's church. That's right. He was an actual preacher, so he wasn't yeah. just a kid that went. He was preaching as a teenager, and so, as Doctor Frank Roberts is saying right now, 1941 is his pivotal year because he actually left. Yeah. That position. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. now he's he's. I'm wondering if if the writings, will still have, religious, uh, undertones to it. Well, the, again, they do for that whole first critical stage. The way I, I like to talk about it in my research uh, is thinking about Baldwin's career in these three critical stages. And in that first critical stage where he publishes his debut essay collection, Notes of a Native, Native Son, uh, he publishes his debut novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain. That first stage in Baldwin's career is very much uh, centrally concerned with the question of religion even though he's already left the, the pulpit, even though he's already left America. As Amiri Baraka once famously said, you know, Baldwin leaves the church, but the church never leaves him. Hmm. Um, but so my first thoughts, I'm thinking about Baldwin and what's going on in Baldwin's life in 1941. How is it about religion? How is it that Baldwin, we can see all of these early poems, not just as literary feats, but as a young boy who was trying to perform a certain type of masculinity and a certain type of identity to his parents, in particular, his father. Right. So we see that in both paradise and to her. Look, dad, I'm not only, um, you know, hetero. Right. But I'm also invoking the paradise in, you know, in, in this poem. So this is this performance that we see happening at the level of liber literary form. Also, it's important to to remember that Baldwin is experimenting with poetry as a form. He he does go on to 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 um to publish one poetry collection called Jimmy's Blues, but poetry was not the literary form that Baldwin ever really expanded his wings fully in, right? Or became really known for. Exactly. So again, this theme of this is Baldwin in rehearsal. We see that Magpie is is providing him with this creative space. Oh, absolutely! It's giving the opportunity that's it, to just explore. to try something out to explore. Yeah, that that's a great. That's a, you know, when people think of school, you think of the playground. You think that's of right. going out and playing right. sports, right? right? And think of the football field, the baseball field. But but for Baldwin, 
being in that magpie staff room. That's right. Right. It's his laboratory. It was he his gets laboratory. To put things, d- different potions together, and see what explodes. See what he explodes. Ult- you know. This is this is great. You know, I'm wondering if it wasn't for the magpie in Clinton High School. Yeah. Oh gosh. Would we get Baldwin the way that we have him? Of course not. Because now he does say it's the church that turned him into a writer in the sense that in constructing the sermons, he began to understand how to actually construct narrative, how to build, um, how to reach climax, denouement, right? Um, what was that? Denouement, ending. Just simply means, you know, uh, yo, the ending yo, of a piece. Yo. First of all. First of all, let me get myself a dictionary Good when brother. I'm talking to you. Good brother, stop. <laughs> Go stop. on. Go on. Um, but, you know, but it was Magpie, you know, that allows him to again master his craft yeah. and, ex- and experiment. He certainly couldn't experiment with poems no. in the pulpit. No. But Magpie provides him with that space. Nor could he experiment with playwriting as a form. You know, Magpie I, does that. I believe you you refer to the magpie as an incubator. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. it it was it was clearly an incubator that Clinton High School provided. Yeah. So County Cullen knew what he was talking about. That's right. When he sent him there. And most notably was a poet. Yeah. So we have to we have to also factor that in, right? Yeah. That this is and so we know that Cullen had a profound impact on Baldwin. Both stated and unstated, we know that the impact, and we're going to talk about this later, but obviously this is the man who encouraged him to go to apply to Clinton. But let's also keep it real. County Cullen was a black gay man from Harlem, right? Um, Now, also for readers who are unfamiliar, you know, County Cullen was a black gay man from Harlem who was also married to W.E.B. Du Bois's daughter. Let me pause there. You said he was a black gay man from Harlem. Yeah. And he, at one point, was married to W.E.B. Du Bois' daughter. Yeah. County Cullen was one of the original D.L. brothers. Yeah. Uh, And so the point that I'm making here is that young Baldwin, in the way that we know young people are impressionable, is probably looking at this figure, County Cullen, Mm -hmm. who he's saying, what complexity, right? Um, This is a man who is married to literally the epitome of the talented tenth, right? Du Bois's daughter, (laughs) and that and that wedding, as you can imagine, that marriage didn't last too long. Uh, But he also is 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 introduced in Cullen to this idea of a Renaissance man, quite literally, a Harlem Renaissance man, a man of letters, literally. Yeah, and 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 uh, apropos to this conversation, he's introduced to a poet. So. We can imagine that Baldwin writing these poems is not just trying to prove something to his father, but I want to be like Big Bro. I want to be like County, right? The English teacher who told me to apply to do it. Man, that's that's so insightful, man, because it's not just that. What you mentioned, too, it's and I think you mentioned this in the, in the in our prior conversation, the vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The vocabulary game here is heavy because yeah. I'm looking at words. This is just in the poem, uh, "Summer," uh, excuse me, "Paradise," "Azure Sky." Yeah, yeah. Who says that? Yeah. Who sa- nobody says that? Yeah. Words such as "wind-kissed laughter." Yeah. Teenagers don't say that. Yeah. No, he's writing out of you know, um, much like Phyllis Wheatley, the first, the inaugural African American poet. Um, he's writing in an almost neoclassical tradition where he's invoking the muses. He is invoking landscape. These are classics, uh, you know, for all the poetry heads out there. 
uh, these are sort of classic um, narrative strategies for um, neoclassical poets, right? So there's, we see that Baldwin is not really writing in the free verse tradition of like Langston Hughes, you know, who was a blues poet. Baldwin is straight up taking it to, I'm going to give you very structured European um, style um, poetry. As a teenager. As a teenager. To her. Right. Knowing what we know of Baldwin now. Right. Is a really interesting title yeah. by itself. Yeah. What I'm gathering from this is he's just displaying his affection to whomever she might be. Right. I'm wondering if the kids that read it, and mm-hmm. that's who read it, right? He's mm-hmm. writing this to his right. classmates. Right. It, it it would seem that it's to write into the affection of a young lady that he might have romantic feelings for. Right. Right. What else would they presume right. in 1941? Exactly. What, what else would they presume? But it's a little deeper than that, mm-hmm. you think. Mm-hmm. You had some really interesting thoughts where you thought that the two her represented something else. Well, I think the two her, again, goes back to where, and where 1941 is still a moment in his life where everything he's writing, he's really writing to his father to say, look, dad, I am the man you want me to be. And so we can imagine, we can speculate that um, to her is a young boy who's trying to perform a certain type of hetero- heteronormativity or in heterosexuality to his father, right? And so to her is in some ways to him, to his father saying, look, dad, you know, in my poetry, I can invoke these these hetero themes. Now, we should also say that Baldwin had a very complicated relationship to sexuality. Nowadays, in our 21st century post-woke vocabulary, <laughs> we immediately think of Baldwin as a black gay man, whereas his sexuality was actually much more complicated. It was actually much more aligned with what we might think of as a bisexuality or queer sexuality, which is to say... This poem may very well have been to a young lady. Um, And again, that's part of the messiness of adolescence, which is why I love these early writings, which, you know, adolescence is messy. There might have been a chick that Baldwin uh, was writing to. It could have been. Absolutely. It could have been. She might have lived on 135th Street. That's it. That's it. It, it. it could be. You know, I was also thinking. Or here in the Bronx. Yeah. I was also thinking this could be to one of his one of his family members. Mm. I didn't necessarily see this as a romantic thing. Okay. You know, I, I just saw it as when he said, how do we reach this fairyland of our love? Mm. When I think of the term fairyland, it's like this, this, this pretend place, this place that people reach to be in. It's make believe. Yeah. It's make believe. Yeah. You want to get there, but you know it's not really possible. And when he says, how did we reach this fairyland of our love? It's almost like, how do we reach this place that we're disconnected? Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. You yeah. know, like we're in a fairyland. We're not in a real place. Right. We're not in a real place where maybe he wants to tell people exactly how he really feels. Right. In the church in particular. Right. Right. That's yep. that's where he would have a lot of his interaction with women. Because remember, this school's an all boys school. That's right. So his interaction with women. An elite all boys school. Excuse me? An elite all boys school. An elite public public all boys school. All white. Yeah, predominantly, like you said. Yeah. What, 97%? Yep. So his interaction with with women was really happening 
on the church level. Yeah. And with his family. This is true. So it's it's so the the to her is 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 a limited scope mm-hmm. from his sixteen year old perspective. Does that make sense? It does. You know, it does. I, I wonder. Do you think that that might play into the story? Does that not the story, the poem? Do you think that might help also identify who exactly he's writing to, or do you think he's purposely leaving it obscure? Or is is there an actual? Is to her just another figment of Baldwin's capacious imagination? This capacious. Imagi- Tell what does that mean? Just expansive, broad, brother. It's like again. Here we have someone who is discovering that in literature, I don't have to just be myself. I can be multiple selves. I can create. So we see a young artist experimenting with the art of creation through poetic form. So who knows if there was ever to her? Maybe it's a, maybe it's actually an improper reading to assume that that there was ever a real to her that Baldwin's writing about. Maybe this poem is about. Baldwin in this early stage saying the power of literature and in this case poetry is that I can create folks fam I can create a her a him I can create paradise I can create hell he's learning that part of the art and gift of a writer is that we get to create new worlds and so in these poems we see Baldwin experimenting with the creation of new worlds you are cooking with grease my friend you're cooking with grease it's all you brother nah man i love it because this goes on to the theme of baldwin in rehearsal yeah this is baldwin in rehearsal before we get to see him for who he is this is him experimenting this is him trying out different things this is him trying out different styles this is him formulating this is him clearing his throat that's right that's it (laughs) as it were that's it 